There it goes. <laughs> so church, we're continuing taking a look at, at the book of Joshua. This is just going to be a short mini-series. I think we'll probably just have one more sermon on the book of Joshua next week. And then we're actually going to be, as a church, going through together the book of Romans, which I'm really excited about. But there were some things that we wanted to, to kind of reinforce before we step further into this new year. And last week, if you were with us, you know that we talked about this, this concept of being strong and courageous, right? That God told Joshua to be strong and courageous. Joshua told the people to be strong and courageous. Those people, in turn, reminded Joshua again to be strong and courageous. It came up, like, what is it, five times in that first chapter, six times. Be strong and courageous. Because why? Well, life with God is scary. Life is scary. And it's hard. You know, I've been uh, just very alert to this idea of, you know, what is it that makes life good? Oh, great. Let's, I'm going to switch over again. For example, when you fix your technology and then two weeks later it messes up again, that's life. That's just how it is. And there's no way around it. And, you know, and it's not even that, um, it's not even that, you know, with, without God, it's hard. It's hard with God, too. And God wants you to know that. The Bible does not shy away from this at all. In fact, Jesus says in the Gospels that some things will get harder for you when you become a Christian. Some things will become scarier. You're going to have opposition that you didn't have before, for example. You're going to have challenges you didn't have before. But then, of course... Some things get easier too. And so what, I'm, what I want to talk with you about today and share with you about today is uh, if we're going to be strong and courageous, there are some specific things that that might call us to do and some specific ways that might call us to act. But we have this wonderful and incredible promise that goes along with the challenge. And so today we're going to look at chapters 3, 4, and 5 in Joshua where the people of God cross the River Jordan into Israel. And before we uh, look at the text, I'm just going to pull up this map for you. I think, can you see that? Is that even visible? Oh, great. So this is Israel. This is ancient Israel during the conquest. So when the people of God left Egypt, which is down here, when the people of God left Egypt, they traveled through the wilderness for 40 years, right? This is the exodus. They left, they left Egypt. The God uh, did all these signs and wonders and and the ten plagues and everything took them out of Egypt. They crossed through the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds on dry land. God parted the sea. They walked across. And then he protected them from Pharaoh's army, drowned the whole army. And then because of their disobedience, they walked in the desert for 40 years. But the story that we're going to be looking at is the beginning of the people of God coming into the land, that promised land that God had called them to. And remember, this is the land that gave them abundance, flowing with milk and honey. This is the land that gave them peace, peace from their enemies. This is the land that was a promise for them as an inheritance. This was part of their spiritual inheritance as the people of God. There's so much good in this. But uh, the story we're looking at today is that there's, uh, there is this river called the Jordan River that goes right down here. And so in, you know, if, if this would be modern day, that's Jordan, and this is modern day Israel, and that river goes right down there. And they had to cross that river 
to fulfill the promise that God had given them for a promised land. And uh, we're going to read about this today, and I want you to be thinking, we have two things in mind always when we read the Scripture. What did it mean for them, right? First and foremost, what did it mean for them? Because it can't mean anything for us that it just didn't mean for them. And then given what it meant for them, what, do we ha- what is there for us today? And so we want to start there. So let's look at the text, Joshua chapter 3, and go through this together. Now, we got a lot of reading today, but it's a story and it's fun, and so hopefully you can hang with me. But it does help sometimes to open your Bible on your phone. Uh, if you don't have one, you can grab one of these. It's actually page 215, and read along so that you don't get distracted, right? That's what happens to me. Joshua chapter 3, it says, Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. And then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. That's about uh, 3,000 feet. And do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel. So, that you, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Remember, Moses died in the wilderness and Joshua was taking over. So God wants to show the people that just as he led Moses, as Moses was leading them, now he will lead Joshua as Joshua leads them. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Verse 9, Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth shall go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. You know, isn't it just like God to bring his people 40 years across the desert and then the day he chooses for them to cross the River Jordan at that stage? Isn't it just like God? He's, he's, had, he's had 40 years to time this. You know, people have laughed because, you know, the River Jordan, sometimes you can just wade through it. Like it's, it's barely a trickle certain parts of the year. Other parts of the year, it's a rushing flood. God had 40 years to time this, and for some reason, he timed it to be at the height of the flood stage. He says, let me just show you people, (laughs) let me just show you not only how incapable you are, but let me show you how capable I am of getting you where I want you to go. And do you ever feel like that in life? 
You ever feel like, you know, God chose the worst possible time to ask you to do something or to bring something into your life? You know, you know God, if, if you know, maybe there's some catastrophe at work and you're like, you know, if this had happened when all this other stuff wasn't going on, I could have handled it. But why does it have to come also when, you know, I'm struggling in this relationship and also I just had this financial crisis and also this thing is going on with a friend and also, you know, and it, like it piles up, right? But God loves to bring us to the river at flood stage. And that's what we see here. He, he brought them in a time when the only way they could cross was with his help. But look what a miracle he does. You know, this picture behind me is the picture of these priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is that box, right, that we all know of from Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? That box that, that has all this power, the one that God used to defeat enemies, the one that God used to, to do miracles. But it's not a magic box, right? The idea of what the Ark of the Covenant is, is that it literally is the throne of God on earth. And when the ark is set up into the tabernacle or into the temple, this is the seat of God. This is where God resides. This is where God's presence can be found. So what God is essentially saying is, when I step into the river, the river is going to stop. But it's not just the presence of God, because within this ark is the Ten Commandments, which represents the covenant that God made with his people So it's the presence, but also the promises of God. And wherever the presence and the promises of God is, there you find the power of God. I did not mean to use three Ps. It just came out that way. Wherever the presence and the promises of God are, there the power of God is. And what God is saying to the people, he says he's going to lift up Joshua in the eyes of the people. But even more so, he's reminding them that he is lifted up in their eyes. When God steps foot in the Jordan River, the waters pile up, right? So it says there in in verse 15, As soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho, and the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now, if you were to go back and read chapter 3 and then read chapter 4, which we're going to do, just take note how many times the Ark of the Lord is mentioned, how many times it's called the Ark of the Lord of all the earth. You know, this is, the ark is supposed to bring our minds to the presence of God and then to the promises of God. And that's where we see his power. So not only is God doing that, but he's doing what he just said he was going to do. He's showing the people that this guy, Joshua, is just like Moses. Moses parts the Red Sea. Joshua parts the Jordan. Moses takes them into a land. Joshua takes them into a new, new land. Moses hears from God and departs the word of God to the people. Joshua hears the word of God and departs that word to the people. So Joshua is being raised up as well. Let's see what happens next. In chapter 4, verse 1, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan. 
from right where the priests are standing and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you should take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. And Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Again, notice how often the Ark is mentioned, but here God is instructing his people, set up a memorial, set up a reminder so that whenever you see these stones, you can remember and you can tell your children so they will remember, and they can tell their children so they will remember. This is what the Lord did here. So important to have these stones of remembrance, these Ebenezers in our life, because it's so easy to forget, right? It's so easy to forget what God has done. And I think God knows that we are a forgetful people, that we need reminders. And so he tells them, set up these stones. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. Now, there's a section here, just so you, if you don't remember, a few of the tribes uh, had actually taken some of their inheritance on, on the side of the Jordan that they just left. But they promised that they would go in to help the rest of Israel conquer this land. And so it says, um, the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over ready for battle in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. So these, he's letting us know they did what they committed to do. And that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Yeah, so Joshua is this, he's this new Moses. Um, and we're going to see even more how Joshua does the things Moses does as we go along. Uh, verse 15, the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord no sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. So on the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you crossed over. 
And the Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we crossed over. And he did this so that all the peoples of earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. You know, I think it's really also interesting here that God not only brings the people of Israel to the Jordan at the time of year that they cannot possibly cross it, it's flooding, but then as soon as they cross, he cuts off their escape route. The Jordan goes right back to flooding. Have you ever felt like that in your life? Like, God, you brought me into this impossible place, and now you've cut off my exit. You locked the door behind me. That maybe, you know, the only thing that I could have hoped to escape this situation has been taken away. And God, it's kind of up there. I just imagine God thinking, yep, job well done, right? (laughs) I did exactly what I wanted to do. I did exactly what you needed me to do. And it feels to us like he's done exactly the opposite of what we need him to do. You know, the Israelites, remember how scared they were of what they're about to do? They were so scared that instead of doing it, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And now they're going to do the thing that was so scary that they couldn't be obedient to the Lord after he had parted the Red Sea, after he had given them everything they needed, after he had destroyed the Egyptians, which is like the most powerful army on earth. He does all that, and they were afraid to do what they're about to do. And as soon as they cross the river, God says, all right, let's put all this water back. You're not going anywhere. You know, sometimes in life, God wants us to be in a place where we can only move forward. He wants us to come to a point where we're no longer able to go back to where we were, that those bridges have been burned, so to speak, because he wants us to go through the obstacle ahead of us, not run away from it. By the way, there are times in life when God doesn't want you to do that. That's why you have to have your heart fixed on Jesus so that you know which one's which, right? Sometimes the people of Israel are supposed to retreat, but not this time. Not this time. God has given them a call, and he knows that in order to fulfill that call, they need to know that there's no way to go back. And I think that's something that's true for all of us. Now let's look at what happens after they cross that river. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. This is going to play, this plays very much into that story of Rahab that we looked at. Remember Rahab who was in Jericho and who was afraid of the Israelites because she had heard what God had done for them. This is one of the things that she heard, is that they had crossed a a river, an overflowing, surging, flooding river on dry ground. And remember, this isn't 30 people. This isn't even that 40,000 people. This is all the people, probably over a million people. So it was not hidden This is done in broad daylight in front of the nations. So at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. By the way, again, meaning the people who had not been circumcised already. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites in Gibeath Haraloth. 
Now this is why they did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. And all the people that came out had been circumcised. So that's one thing, that's another thing Moses did. As soon as they came out of Egypt, he had all the men circumcised. But all those men had died in the wilderness. But it says all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not been circumcised. Now, I'm not going to get into all the meaning of circumcision right now, but just suffice to say this. It was a requirement that God gave even before the law. He gave to Abraham that all their sons were to be circumcised so that they could be, and this was a sign of them being members of the family of God. So you cannot be connected to God in Israel without circumcision. And so for not only to not be circumcised, that doesn't just mean that you're disobedient. It means your parents were disobedient. And not just the men, but also the mothers. So to have none of these people circumcised is actually a blight on the entire community. Now here's the really wonderful piece of this. God doesn't say, you have to be obedient before I take you into the promised land. God takes them into the promised land and then he calls them to obedience. Isn't that just like the gospel? God doesn't say, get your life together and then come to Jesus. He says, come to Jesus and then we'll fix, the light. We'll fix this other stuff along the way. God in the Old Testament is the same God as the New Testament. And I'm, I, I hear this a lot, and honestly, I'm getting a little tired of it. Not from you guys, just I hear it around. That the Old Testament's all law and the New Testament's all grace. That is nonsense. Grace permeates the Old and the New Testament. And by the law, by the way, there's a ton of law in the New Testament. But we understand that all of the law and the entirety of the Bible is a law that's found under grace. It's found under grace. And so God says, look, I did this huge miracle for you. I'm bringing you into your promise, but you guys haven't been obedient. So let's do some correction here. Let's get everyone circumcised. Now, not to be too graphic, but I would suggest to you that if you're an adult and you get circumcised, you're not going anywhere for a little bit. Okay? I don't know if any of you have had any other minor surgeries. Have you had? I mean, today everything seems like a minor surgery. But you know how you have like a surgery, and then for the next week you just don't want to move? And it may have nothing to do with your legs or your arms, but you're not going to go out and fight a battle. Right? So just, again, to, to carry on what we've already observed, God takes them to the River Jordan at the worst possible time of year so that they need a miracle to get across. As soon as they cross, he cuts off their escape route. And then after he exposes them to all their enemies with no escape route, then he tells the men to all get circumcised. Do you know any other stories in the Bible where all the men got circumcised near their enemies? There were these men who the Israelites convinced to get circumcised, and then after they were circumcised, they went in and killed all of them. You don't want to face an enemy when you've just been circumcised, is what I'm saying. God has this way of making it impossible for them to do this thing in their own strength. In fact, he says, wherever you're vulnerable, I'm going to make you more vulnerable. Wherever you have weakness, I'm going to make you weaker. Again, does this sound like something in the New Testament? 
Paul, in the book of 2 Corinthians, he says, God's strength is made perfect in my weakness. Right? He says, so I boast in my weaknesses. God is teaching the Israelites, and by extension us, that we, that he's calling us into this extreme vulnerability. And we may resist that vulnerability, and so he will do things to us to make us more vulnerable. Okay? This is not an extreme comment. This is just what happened. God made them vulnerable. God made them weak. God made them weak at their most vulnerable place on the map. After they were exposed to their enemies, after the Jordan resumes its flow, then he calls them to be circumcised. It's simultaneously grace. You don't have to have it all together before I do the miracle. And it's a call into discipleship where God says, I'm going to show you how weakness brings out my power even more. Do you see this? It's, it's both beautiful and scary at the exact same time. God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly how to do it. And my goodness, that's scary. Because what does that mean for you and me? What kind of position might God put you in? Might God put me in? And the answer is, I don't think there's a limit to the kind of position God might put you in because he can get you out of any position that you may find yourself in. He's not worried about the, about the people of Jericho attacking Israel. One, he scared them with the river, right? But two, even if they did attack, do you think God would let them all die there just, over, just after crossing over the Jordan? Like they've gone through all of this. He takes them out of Egypt. He protects them and cares for them for 40 years in the desert. And right when they're about to receive the promise he gives them, do you think he's just going to let them die there? No. Absolutely not. He's not worried about them. They were probably worried. He wasn't worried about them. It says in uh, chapter 5, let's see. Oh, it's just finishing that story in verse 6. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised to their ancestors to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. He says, now that you've been obedient to me by trusting me to enter the land, now that you've crossed through the the Jordan River, now that you've all been circumcised, now I will remove the reproach of Egypt from you. Now I'm going to take away this stain of your past. This is powerful words to a nation that had lived in slavery and then with no home for 40 years. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. This is another thing that was like Moses. Moses had all the people circumcised, and then they celebrated the Passover after crossing the Red Sea. 
Joshua takes the people across the Jordan. Everyone's circumcised. Then they have Passover. And they ate some of the produce of the land. This is also beautiful. They ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. And the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Remember when they were wandering in the desert, they didn't have food, and so God would make this stuff show up on the ground every morning like dew, but it was, it was flaky, and it was, and it was manna, which means, what is this? <laughs> because they had no idea what it was. And they would use it to make bread and use it to make other things. And, and if you also remember, if they gathered more than they needed, it would rot. So they gathered just what they needed for the day. Wonderful spiritual metaphor there, because God knows what he's doing. <laughs> But then also, now that, now that they have come through that stage of life as a people, and they're coming into a new stage of life as a people, God says, what I did for you then, I'm not going to do for you anymore. Now, you're going to need to trust me to go out and acquire everything from the land that I'm promising you. And I think um, uh, uh, this is similar and sometimes... Sometimes when we're new in our faith, God gives us certain things easily. Uh, do you remember when you came to Christ and things, certain things just came easy? And it was almost like, uh, you know, I've talked to people who were drug addicts. They became Christian. They never longed for that drug ever again. Uh, I know even in my own life, there were things like that, that when I first got, came alive to Jesus, certain things happened easy. Um, I don't think... Uh, this is kind of a joke in our house of so growing up, like the only curse word said in my house growing up were quotes of a joke. Like that was the only acceptable use of any curse word was if you're making a joke and it's a quote of someone else, right? Like that was just the way it was. But, you know, when I was in middle school, I would use certain words that, you know, were not, not the words my mother would have wanted me using, right? But I remember when I kind of like really came alive to Christ, I just, I just stopped thinking them like they just didn't come, Right? Some of those things are easy. They're quick. And I think God's really gracious with us when we're young and immature, when we're new in faith. He, he just gives us certain things easy. But there comes a point where he says, all right, now these next things, I'm not just going to give them to you easy. You need to start walking in faith and walking in obedience to me, and then they will come as you walk. Does that make sense? So here, they've been getting free food. Free lunch every day for 40 years. And their shoes didn't wear out and their tunics didn't tear. Everything was physically provided for them. And then God says, now here's this land I'm giving you. You're going to have to fight for it. But as you fight, you will have everything you need. But if you don't fight, you're going hungry. The manna stops. And I do wonder if that's an encouragement for us as we mature in our faith to recognize that now it's not a striving thing, right? Because even when they fight, they do it in the power of God, right? But you've got to step up and to use a very, uh, you know, potentially problematic phrase, I'm going to use it anyway, you've got to man up. And I think particularly, you know, I've, we've, Sonia and I have been talking about this, like, there's a call to men and to women to step up. But it was the men who had to go fight. 
And I can't help but think about our own congregation and about so many congregations in this country where women do most of the fighting and the men either physically or, some, or metaphorically stay at home. In this story, you remember Gad and Reuben and Manasseh? The women stayed home and the men went out to fight. And if they didn't, then everyone would starve. So I think, I think you know, I don't, I don't want to make too big a deal out of that because it's also for all of us. Like women, you have a call too. And you're going to have to fight for it. But we men need to step up, man up. We need to rise to the occasion. And when I think about what God may be calling us to, I think a part of that is we men in this room, we men who are connecting on Zoom, and maybe some who aren't connected at all yet, we need to rise to the occasion. There's something about men being strong and courageous that actually makes it better for everyone else also to be strong and courageous. Not to be passive. Not to be weak. And again, like, don't hear this as condemnation. Like this, I'm calling myself out too. But I think there's truth there. God says, you're going to work for it now. And that's why I told you to be strong and courageous. Because the, the escape route's cut off, right? I've made you incredibly vulnerable in what was already in some ways your most vulnerable place. And through your weakness and through your, your um, lack of escape and your, in your, uh, in the necessary moment of needing to trust in me, I'm going to show you how powerful I am. And this is the glory of it. Is that what's the story that comes after this one? You guys know? Where are they? They're at Jericho. What's that story? It's an amazing story of God coming through powerfully for his people. How did the Israelites knock the walls of Jericho down? Oh, wait, they didn't. God did it. How many battles? Do you know how many battles there are in this book of Joshua where they basically don't do anything? It's ridiculous how often God makes the enemies fight against each other. But after they show up for battle, after Israel shows up for battle. And let's be honest, there were probably some people, uh, Israelites, who died in some of those battles but as a whole, the people lived and thrived and grew and took, you know, put down roots. And I don't know, there's not many countries, there are not many countries in the world that existed when this book was written that are still around today. Right? Not a lot. You've got to show up to fight. You know, I think... Historically, how we understand this is this is God bringing the people that he called to be his own people into a land that he called to be a land for him because he was anticipating a day, right? Anticipating a day when he would not be localized in one place in an ark. He would not be found only in one temple. That he would not be geographically bound on earth. So prior to Jesus... Anyone who wants to find God goes to Israel. He was setting that up to prepare the world for what was coming. The day when Jesus would come, and then he would, instead of making us come to the temple, 
He makes us the temple. Instead of there being a physical place where we go find the presence of God, the presence of God comes to us and resides within us. The Holy Spirit, which is the same exact, I think that's the Shekinah glory of God, or the Shekinah glory of God, however you want to pronounce it. In the, in the Ark of the Covenant, I think that's the Holy Spirit. In the temple, it's the Holy Spirit. And, and then we learn in the New Testament that now you and I, we are the temple of God. Our bodies are a temple of God. And the Holy Spirit resides, just as He always did, in the temple. And our heart is the seat instead of the Ark of the Covenant. And so what is God calling us to do? He's calling us to be strong and courageous. He's calling us to, at times, cross boundaries that we cannot return from because He's inviting us to something better on the other side. He cuts off our escape route. He shows us our weakness and our vulnerability. And He says, all you have to do is trust Me because remember... Where does the power of God come from? From His presence and His promises. And His presence is with you, and you have His promises. And so, really, it's time for each one of us to cross the Jordan River. Right? Each one of us are called to cross the Jordan River. And your Jordan River might be different from my Jordan River, right? Because this is where the metaphor so where the metaphor is, you know, it's not a, it's not a physical river, right? Um, you know, sometimes you, you come to a point in time where you need to stick a stake in the ground. And maybe that's accepting Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been flirting with Jesus or in the gospel. Maybe you've kind of like, oh, I think I believe it. But you're not, you haven't really given your life over to the, to the truth and the goodness and the grace and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God's saying, you need to stick a stake in the ground today and pass over that river. Don't look back. Jump all in with Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe you're a believer and you've been, and you know, maybe you're, you have a history of kind of like staying with a, a church or a community for a little while and then going to another one and then going to another one and then going to another one. And God's saying, no, look, put down roots don't give yourself an escape hatch. Not too easily. If it gets really bad, I'll get you out. Don't worry. But maybe it's time to make a commitment. Um, maybe it's at work and people don't really even know you're a believer. And it's time to just publicly acknowledge. And it could be so simple like, hey, how was your weekend? Oh, it was great. I went to church. And I learned about being really sold out to Jesus Christ. Well, man, you can't backtrack from that. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to say, I went to church. Like, I wonder if he's a Christian. Oh, uh, you know, maybe his, maybe his wife made him go, or, you know, maybe it was, you know, his kids, went, you know, whatever. You're like, no, no, I, I learned about being committed and sold out to Jesus Christ with no, without looking back, and, you know, and I'm, I'm committed to doing that. Yeah, you can't backpedal that one, right? They know. They know. Um. Sometimes it's entering into scary places that God has given you to quote-unquote conquer. Don't use that word the wrong way, but God's given you a place or a space or a, a, you know, an arena of influence, and you need to step into it fully and not leave that escape route to back out when things get hard. 
Because by the way, everything that God calls you to that's actually worth anything is difficult. There's not a single story in this book that I can think of that's easy. Not a one. You know where all the easy stories are? They weren't written down because, first of all, they're not interesting. And second of all, there's no power in them. I'm sure there's plenty of easy things that Abraham did, right? He woke up one day and fixed oatmeal. <gasps> Praise the Lord. No, like no one cares. But man, when he didn't have a son, and then God gave him a son, and then in order to receive the promise, God told him to kill the son. Oh my goodness, that's hard. How do you work out of that one? What does faith look like then? Those are the hard stories. They're only the stories that matter. Sometimes it means being honest when honesty is really scary and puts you in a very vulnerable position. You know, uh, one of the stories like that that I want to share is a lot of you guys who've been around a while, you may know our friend Joel. And Joel doesn't go here anymore, but he shared this testimony publicly from this platform years ago. Joel, um, when he was younger, he committed a crime. And a few years went by, nothing happened, but then finally it looked like he was going to be caught and tried and put in jail for this crime. And so what did he do? Well, he ran away. He ran away to Florida and he, for years, very successfully evaded the police in Florida. He figured out he's a really smart guy. He's really, uh, I would say, in the best way, he's very crafty. <laughs> in the best of ways. And he, and he knows, he's like a deal maker, too. Like, he can get things done, and he can get things, and he can, like, in the best of ways, he was just very shrewd. And he knew how to live a whole life without getting caught without his identity being uncovered. And then, when his mother was dying, he was there at the hospital, and a chaplain came in, and the way I remember the story, I think this is right, he began to preach the gospel to him, and Joel put his faith in Jesus Christ. You know what the first thing Joel pretty much did after his mom died, and he put his faith in Jesus Christ? He called the police, and he told them who he was and what he had done. That is crossing a Jordan River and then being exposed vulnerably and being found in weakness with no escape route. Only because God told him in his heart, you need to come clean. You need to be honest. Uh, needless to say, Joel was arrested, brought back to Massachusetts. He went to prison. And in prison, he uh, studied the Bible. And I don't know that I've met many people without any kind of formal religious education that knew as much about the Bible as Joel does. And he served here faithfully, week in, week out, multiple days a week, consistently, um, as he you know, was just rebuilding his life. It's an amazing story of God's faithfulness. Amazing story. But it's a scary story. It's a costly story. And then when you do stuff like that, put a rock down. Set up an Ebenezer, a stone of remembrance. 
You know, I think we had, for some of us, we had one of these moments here last summer when we did our Nehemiah study. Who, who was involved in that Nehemiah study? And there were commitments that we made, and some of them are actually still back there on the wall. Uh, there were decisions that we made. And then uh, Paul made us these wonderful leather coasters that had a verse from Nehemiah on it. And we have them at our house. We, got, we each got one. And when I see that coaster, inevitably I think back to what we did and what we said and what we committed to and what God did and the way God showed up and the way he's shown up since. It's just a little reminder. Now, uh, Paul, I don't know if those coasters will be there in six generations (laughs) like a rock is. But hey, for us, we're going to remember. For you guys, we can remember We need those remembrances along the way. But it's really quite simple when you get down to it. You know, God has a calling for you. And part of it, it's all the same for each one of us, to follow Jesus and be formed into his image, to become like him. And part of it is unique for all of us, for each of us. You know, uh, for me right now, it's to be pastoring here at Fellowship Church in Dedham at Milton and Myrtle Street, right? Um, that's part, not all of it, it's part of it. It's to be a husband of Sonia and a dad for these three kids. Uh, it's to be uh, a friend to the people I'm a friend to. It's to be faithful in all the work that I do wherever I go, right? And you have your calling. But whether it's your general calling or your specific calling, as you walk in it, God will sometimes ask you to cut off your exits Right to cross that Jordan with no hope of return. Sometimes he'll ask you to embrace your vulnerability. And sometimes he'll ask you to press in courageously to that next area of growth, that, that promised land that he set before you, which might be you know, overcoming a stronghold in your life. It might be uh, finding victory in your work. It might be overcoming deep hurt in relationship. Whatever your promise is, right? God's going to call you at times to to cross the threshold, to be willing to be exposed and weak, but to press on, to be strong and courageous. When God calls you to do that, all you have to do, super easy, all you have to do is trust him and do it, right? One of those things that it's, e- it's simple, but it's not easy. Right, it's really simple. Oh, just trust him and do what he says. And he'll, he'll turn out for you. But it's so hard to do sometimes. And usually anything that matters, it's going to be hard to do. Anything that's worth doing like this will be difficult. But what's on the other side? It's walls being torn down by the power of God. It's, you know, one of the promises in this book is that you will... You will reap the harvest from vineyards and farm plants that you didn't plant. Right? There's, just an, abund- there's an abundance that's out there for things that you didn't have to directly work for. It's like they just come to you because you're faithful and you're courageous and you're strong in the Lord. And I should have added this on that takeaway. It's just that it's all possible because you have the presence and the promise of God going with you. And wherever the presence and the promise are, what's there? 
power. Power. Power of God. So church, we're going to take one more week in Joshua. But remember, be strong and courageous. Right? And then step into your calling and brave and um, uh, what's the word? Just ways that you can't go back. Dropping the word right now. So be, be, be willing to cross those boundaries that you can't easily come back from. Because when God's in it, you're going to find the promise that you've been waiting for. Can we pray? Lord God, we have, um, each of us right now, I know, in our lives, there's something that you're calling us to step into more fully. And I'm imagining that each of us in our lives right now, there's something that you're calling us to step into more fully that we're resisting because it's scary, because it's hard, because we don't want to be vulnerable, because we don't want to be weak. And to do so would require us to risk failure or to do so would require us to be honest about things that we haven't been honest about. Or to do so would require that we make a commitment to something and we have a fear of making commitment in that area. And to doing it publicly so we can't turn back on it. God, I pray that you minister to each one of us in this moment about that thing. And church, let your mind go there. What is that thing? What is that thing that God's been calling to you that you've been resisting? What is that place of vulnerability that you've been unwilling to step into? What's the commitment that you've been holding off on? Because if you commit, then you're tied down somehow. What is the thing that you're deathly afraid of being exposed in your life, but you know if you, if you expose it, you know you'd actually find freedom from it? What is it that you need to trust God for more? You have a, a trust that's more powerful than the fear that you have. What is it? God, I pray for those things for courage, for strength, or for faith and trust. Lord, that we would understand at a deeper level maybe than we ever had before, at least about this one thing, that when you are with us and your promise is with us, that we will see power in the facing of it. That it's okay to be afraid because fear is a prerequisite for courage. But not to let that fear hold us back. God, how easy it would have been for the Israelites to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Just, you know, east of the Jordan is fine with me, Lord. But you were calling them to something different just as you are for us. To cross that boundary. And in doing so, to fulfill our calling, to experience joy, to know experientially your faithfulness and goodness, and to lay down Ebenezer's, to remind ourselves and future generations, this is where God did that for me. This is where God saved me. This is where God took the thing that I was afraid of more than anything in the world, and he made it small 
when it used to feel so big. This is where God overcame. So I know some of you are at home, and I know we're all masked and trying to distance, and it's COVID and all that. I get all that. But if you just need to take a moment before the Lord right up here to kind of cross your Jordan and kind of publicly make a commitment to the Lord, this space is here. There's plenty of space so we can separate and have some distance. But maybe more than anything, what you need is to be exposed a little bit in front of a group of people. And we don't even have to know everything that you're committing to. But to say, oh, that person, that person's doing something for the Lord right now. That person is laying it out and trusting the Lord right now. It's a vulnerable place. Maybe that's where you need to be. So it just it's open. No pressure from me, just if the Lord's leading you. Um, but I do encourage you, before you let this moment pass, consecrate yourself, as the Israelites were called to do. Consecrate yourself to the Lord. I called for it earlier, and I'm calling for it again. Tell God, God, the thing that you want of me, I give it. The thing you want me to let go of, I let go of it. The thing that you want exposed, I'll expose it. Bring it into the light. Let it be healed. Let it be transformed in the power of Jesus. And then just watch the walls crumble down. Watch those walls in your life that you haven't been able to destroy, you haven't been able to tear down yourself. Watch God break them down without even you lifting a finger. I believe that's what God has for us. I believe... I believe that he has a moment for each one of us in this room like that in store. Because God is so, so, so good. And he's so faithful.